Swillians, if you love and respect your surfboards, and I'm talking pure love, then you must protect them. And nobody protects surfboards better than the official hardware and accessories partner of all Swillians, Ocean and Earth. Doesn't matter what you kick, shorties, fishes, logs, sups, O&E have over 30 different types of board covers to keep your precious protected. Day sleeves, travel covers, singles, doubles, coffins, wheels. These board bags are light, functional and built to last. Good enough for Owen Wright. Good enough for Ryan Callanan. Good enough for Tyler Wright. You know it's primo gear. And it's one of those presents you just never see coming. Imagine getting an O&E board bag in your Chrissy windsock. Mad. Go to oceanandearth.com to scope the whole range today. Ain't That Swell presents Crawlords. Today's guest is Cole Christensen, the great Hawaiian tube pig, big wave hellman, Altered State Warrior and Patagonia Ambassador. This podcast was 12 months in the making. The last time we'd spoken, he was in the midst of an all-time Hawaiian winter with back-to-back swells leading into the eddy, followed by a manic mission to surf Mavericks, followed by a snow strike to Alaska, and that's about where I gave up. Who was this madman? And was he making his way through airport checkpoints in some kind of cape? Are you kidding me? The son of a fisherman who grew up on Oahu's east side, Cole is a blue-collar journeyman who has established himself as one of the best tube riders in history. His iconic pit at Maxing Cloud Break is for sure one of the greatest rides of all time. But it's Cole's sense of adventure... His no-frills, mad core attitude towards surfing and his dedication to truth-seeking that I really respect. Sick! Fuck, finally made it happen, man. Oh, it's been a bit, huh? <laughs> so psyched. You one of our uh, more requested guests? <laughs> Wonder why. People, people want to know about the wild... And wacky world of Cole Christensen. Yeah. I've been on one lately. I'm it's... back home now, so feeling a little grounded. <laughs> Mate, it must take a while to uh, find your feet on the ground after how long was it at Burning Man in the end? Oh, yeah, that one. Um, you know, I had a really soft landing. I brought my wife for half of half of it this year, and and um. She actually let me sleep for two days, <laughs> you know, without really having to help the kids. Just kind of like, yeah, it was a great landing back home. I think we were there 10 days um, total, me and a buddy. We we um, we flew in, grabbed the RV and picked the wives up on Monday morning, drove in. And, and they both, um, not because the rain was coming, but because they had it scheduled, they both left before the rain and then. We stayed and, and and finished it out and and it was epic. Always yeah. is. Yeah. How how many of them have you been to? Uh, just a couple. 
and this one it was it's um you know the way i look at it like there's you know you get you obviously get the girls with 100 different outfits taking their instagram pictures and and, and that's a lot of the stuff you see but the real stuff is the the creativity that brews from it it's almost like a montessori preschool for adults where you get exposed to all these different mediums from art to music to workshops and you know you have that you have all the drugs if you want them um everything is available to you and there, there there's really this um glorious sense of freedom that allows you to dive really deep into in here and then connect with like-minded people like it, it's an effort to get there so everyone that's there has has gone through a, a bit of a process and and a lot of them have very similar uh, views of of where we should head uh, as a human race and and where we need to head like immediately and um it's 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 perception it open it opens it you know, life's life's perception mm. and it's been so so yeah i think i think it's really powerful and i would highly recommend it yeah, oh, I love that, man. Yeah. And it, events like this, they act as like a, a filtration process, right? So like, you know, it's a filter for a, a certain kind of human and um, that human, I guess, is sipping on a different Kool-Aid to the average suburbanite bogged down in mortgage debt uh, without the, the means to really uh, think of a solution to our problems or maybe more accurately act on a solution to our problems. Um because, yeah, the problems are fucking staring us all in the face. I mean, imagine being in the desert when it flooded. <laughs> that's pretty, uh, that seems pretty, uh, like an extreme weather event uh, on, on the back of you got fucking well, those. Well, one, 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 of, one of the 10 um, things is radical self reliance. And, and honestly, it was, um, it was the media blew it out of proportion. It was, it was only, um, frustrating for those who needed to be places. And at that, you could have walked out and many people did. So it, it got, it dried out like the desert does and it returned to the normalcy that Burning Man presents itself with and, and the party continued and the talks continued. We hosted um, all the sustainability talks at Black Rock, Rap, Black Rock Labs Camp is where I, I stayed. And um, my buddy Forrest Shear's dad, David Shear, hosts all the sustainability talks and it, it, it was powerful man there's 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 things that you don't know come up it's just it's there's a lot of magic happens like anywhere in life it's just a, it's just a great place for it all to kind of come together and um i'm i'm I, yeah like i said earlier I'd, I'd really support anyone that wants to get out there and meet some new people because it's a great place like you said it brings a lot of like-minded people together so sick, man. It's one of the things I admire about you is that, yeah, you're not your typical uh, meat and potato surfer. You know, you, you, you're venturing into environments where surfing's irrelevant, where your status as a surfer is irrelevant, and you're connecting with people on a, a very grounded basis. Um, you know, a lot of elite surfers don't do this, and a lot do. But, like, uh, yeah, it, it is admirable, man. And um, just speaking of, like, extreme weather events not that that flooding was all that extreme i guess but uh, i'd be mad not to get your take on what's happening over there in hawaii at the moment with the the fires obviously in maui and uh um yeah what your take on on, on all that is and, and where that's at i mean i don't have 
many words. It's like, it's, it's just heartbreaking to see um, a disaster like that take place in our lifetime so close to home. I'm an island removed, but I have, you know, obviously have a lot of connection um, because I have friends there and, and, and I got to see um, kind of what they've been going through and yeah, it's, it, it's tough. It's super hard. And, and the rebuilding process, everything about it. I talked to Ian Walsh a few days ago and he's super involved and obviously with, you know, being there from Maui and, and just the great person he is. He's, he's really put a lot of energy into the um, support and relief effort. And it's, um it's, it's, it's yeah, tragic, man. It's super sad. And Lahaina was such, is, was such a cool place. And I have so many memories growing up. I'd go over for the, uh, the Halloween uh, fishing tournament, the jackpot. And we'd, we'd drive the boat over and we'd stay at the hotel right there in the plaza and we'd party. Lahaina was like famous for its Halloween parties for years. It was just like this. Um, everyone, people would fly in from around the world. And I have a lot of fond memories of, of that, that little beautiful little, little spot. And, you know, but for those that lost their homes and businesses and all the families and, and, the, and the people that lost, my heart goes out to them. It's, it's tragic. And in terms of like, is it too early to be having those conversations around the culpability factor, like who or what is responsible? I mean, I understood that uh, that part of Maui has like more emergency distress beacons than any other state or any other province in America, but they weren't turned on or some something like that. I don't know if any, I don't know if this is, I think that was actually reported in the New York times. So that's pretty legit, but um, yeah. And, and, and is this like a climate change kind of thing? Um, I mean, I'm a, yeah, the, the science is there. I just finished David Attenborough, you know, David Attenborough. Yeah, man. Life on his new he is he just did his 94 year he's 94 years old and just wrote his witness statement on the earth and his and in his lifetime the population has increased from two billion to almost eight billion people and that's in less than a hundred years and um he, he he relates all of these topics especially um climate change very relevantly and eloquently um in his new book um but yeah climate change is real we may have to make some hard changes in the next decade to um, slow it down. Um, was this fire a result for climate change? I, I can't answer that. Um, Maui's windy, it's been dry. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating, we're in, we're in a critical time um, and we have it. It's so easy to not, to ignore it with all our luxuries and the ability to jump on our iPhone and book a ticket and fly somewhere and and it's so easy not to ignore, but you need to be reading literature. You need to be following people that are involved in it. Um, you know, life is about perception. And if we're, we're running life right here, we're not going to, we're not going to see the rest of it. It's like who you follow on Instagram. It's like an example I heard, I think from Eckhart Tolle, who's one of my favorite dudes. Um, he talks about sunset and perception. And every day we see a sunset and we see a sunrise and that, and that's reality and that's truth. Right. But hold on, you back up and you go to the moon and you look at the earth from the moon, the sun never rises and never sets. So it's, it's all perception. And that's, what's so rad about Burning Man. You get into these holes and you get into these places and, and, and that breaks down and opens that up. 
And then you get to a place where maybe something emerges from the energy inside of you, from that light, from that you didn't, you know, we can't, we can't think on it. The thoughts will never arrive to that place of true creativity. It has to come from somewhere else. Mm. And we have to be, we have to arrive there. And the only way yeah. to arrive there is to go to places like Burning Man or go surfing and truly connect. I'm looking at the water right here. Yeah. Um, truly connect and truly be immersed in nature. And, and it's very similar, but you know, those barriers, if we don't allow those barriers to break down and we don't really truly allow ourselves and our, our energy inside of us to connect to that, we're never going to get there. And yeah, I mean, climate change, I, I've, I've been installing solar. I'm a general contractor. I grew up building houses. My dad was a builder. So I've been doing um, uh, renewable energy projects for since 2006, when my brother and I became stewards of a property up the road. Um, we didn't have um, access to util the utilities. So I had to go back to school and learn about solar energy. We installed a system with any of those solar geeks out there, Kyocera 130s and, and um, six volt lead acid batteries. So this was back and out back inverter. And now we've arrived at a point, you know, during my lifetime, during my career, during my involvement in the renewable energy sector, we've arrived at a point where we have these incredible lithium batteries. We have um, solar panels that are the same size, but four times, three or four times as strong. And um, the price point has dropped dramatically. Um, it's now cheaper to install renewable energy than it is to come on fossil fuels. And we've, we've arrived at that point and there's going to be kind of a bridge until we get there to all renewable energy, um, like um, between wind, um, sun, and thermal. But we're, um, we're moving that way and it, it's really exciting. It's been fun to be a part of it. Um, and there was a discussion at um, our camp, this dude was there and he was, um, in the, he's in the process. There's 600 old coal and, um, you know, diesel generation power plants in the U S that are perfect for what he's looking for. He's, he's in the process of raising money, purchasing them, um, putting large solar fields next to them, um, hiring the crew that runs them to now manage a renewable energy plant. So this is happening. And this is, you know, this was a session. I met the dude at Burning Man this year. I mean, he's in the process of raising money. He's already done one and he has 600 more on his list. And, and there's so much energy headed towards that right now. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. It gives me chicken skin. Yeah. About it. Wow. That's amazing, man. Yeah. It's like capitalism has brought us to this point where it's created this amazing, amazing technological and, and innovation boom. Uh, and <laughs> it's been really helpful in that way, but it's also kind of at the same time stymieing the release of all these technologies and the, the pivot into that world, because, you know, the, the petrochemical companies still hold all the cards. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a strange tipping point where we all know the next step, but there's uh, commercial agendas that are preventing that from taking place. And then you look at somewhere like China, this fucking, monolithic communist culture and they're just like oh no it has to go to this next step we're going there we're going there right now like they've pivoted um you know I, I don't think anything that is invented in china now can run on on a carbon uh based fuel so yeah it, it, Mar 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 morocco was 100 um 
fossil fuels and now they're 40 percent renewables and they're headed towards like they're skyrocketing in that direction and they're storing their energy in their salt flats wow. and access solar um, energy at night yeah there's crazy things happening and it's fun to be part of but it but we also got to get everyone on board like you said the capitalistic mindset with the with the oil companies being as large as they are i mean that's going to be a battle there's a march next week on september i think september 17th to end fossil fuels in new york i just saw somewhere which is kind of neat so it's happening energy's there um yeah no it's exciting that is sick man now um Last time we were chatting, it was it was like basically at the the peak of the Hawaiian winter, and uh, there'd been like a run of crazy pipe swells, and then the eddy, um, yeah, like, and that was when <laughs> it, we kind of lost communication. But uh, yeah, talk us through that last winter; it was pretty mental. You had you had a real solid dig in the uh in the eddy that was impressive. <laughs> yeah, some days you're on, some days you're off. Huh? Like some days you connect. Some, it's funny, like you. I've been waiting so many years to surf that day and then fuck, I just had a shocker, but I, I broke my board and the first heat and, but it was so rad because the, I'm speaking about the Eddie um, to see Luke win. I knew, I know Luke's dad. He, he was the um, referee in our mud pits back when we used to have these huge three day. What was the mud pit? Uh, we used to have these parties when my brother and I bought that land. Um, but um, I think it was 2000, yeah, 2006. Um, we were the only ones back in this whole valley, so we were uh, we were able to have these parties and and we had this excavator and we dig a we dig a ten foot deep by ten by ten pit, and uh, we'd have a bandstand and stripper, um, you know, go go dancing poles, and we'd just go for days and have bands come. People would be lined up. There'd be a mud road. Cars would just be left everywhere. Um, <laughs> uh, we didn't know at first, like, how it was going to go down. Okay, we'll build the pit, but are they, you know, how are we going to get people in? They're all fucked up. And, and I, I go on the stage and, well, okay, does anyone want to get in the pit? And dude, we had people running, like, like the drummer behind me, like, took off his shirt. I'm in. And so we go over there. We put fire all around it. And um, Luke's dad gets down in there and he's the ref and he's, I think we're only letting girls in because it was funner to watch. And then, you know, all we had to do was pour tequila over the sides. And, and Wow. No way. <laughs> that's loose. But, but that's how we met Luke's dad. He's rad. He shapes these little handboards. He's a, he's a, a beautiful human. And he obviously created a beautiful son. And um, it was really fun. I got, to, I got to stand next to him during the um, award ceremony. When um Luke Luke took the took the win and um yeah it was so special like they talk about Eddie Icao and how special he is and his legacy and and then for him to hand it off to another lifeguard like yeah I mean you can't script it you know so it it, it was cool and 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 the, and that was one of the highlights of my winter being able to witness that and then I did get a um well let's see I think we had a bunch of pipe swells. I kind of got back out there. I'm feeling it. Um, it's one area of my life. I'm still, um, but I, but I am getting out there and I, I did get a um, wave and it was crazy. Cause I mean, you know, about my accident on new year's Eve, 2019, mm. um, cracked my head open and, you know, yeah. But, um, getting back out there was a bit of a, bit of a process for me and wow. I'm sitting out there. I hadn't gotten a, a, you know a good one yet 
since. I, I, I kind of had a couple near misses and a strikeout and a on the beach. Now nah, I'm not going to go out. And I've been kind of waiting for those like bigger, nice days. I like the second reef days where the, um, the, pl the playing field's bigger and you can get those like big tubes from outside. And I was out there and paddled out and and Andrew LaGreco, who the, the morning that I got hurt, came over on the jet ski and I talked to him before I paddled out because I was on my ski and with Russo. And he's like, hey, I just came down from Waimea. What's up? Like, hey, what's up? So I paddled out and I'm sitting next to Colony Chapman, who also had an incident pipe the year prior. I was there for it. Got, had to get resuscitated. So we're chatting. I didn't see him wow. since. Didn't hear about that one. That's wild. Yeah, no, there's been a lot of them. Mikey, Mikey Red, bunch, like, I, I mean, yeah. I can. So there's a, there's a Dusty group of Payne had one too. Dusty Payne, yeah, I talked to him. Um, there's been a bunch, man. Well, it's a dangerous spot, and we put ourselves, we keep going back. Um, so that was, um, yeah, so, so anyway, it, Andrew, when I went back to pipe this winter, Andrew, the guy that came in and jumped off the jet ski, grabbed me, get my head out of the water and yelled my name. And he saw me take my, my last breath, like <clears throat> right before the next wave hit me. And so he, he basically saved my life. Um, thank you, Andrew. And he, um, he was out right when I came out this winter and he was sitting deeper. I could see him cause he's wearing a helmet and I was wearing a helmet or we both got our helmets now. And uh, he's like, and I see him and I wave to him and the sun's kind of setting and, and he lifts his arm like this to wave back. And I can see a silhouette. And as he does that, the wave that was like coming just kind of stretched out right over to where I was sitting. And I just turn, I paddle and just pull in. And then I just stand there. It's like, okay, stoked. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> that was kind of the moment for me, I think, this winter. One of the moments of my life, really, to come back from, you know, and then and then having that special little connection right before the wave. But life's there. It's so crazy how, like, this morning I was out here surfing and I was thinking about my buddy Greg Arms that died in Alaska. And I have this photo that I want to put up in their lodge up in Alaska. And I was thinking about what to write on it. And I came up with something that I think is pretty, pretty cool. But anyway, as I was thinking of it, there was like no waves and then the sun the rain had passed the sun came out and then all of a sudden i was like oh, i should probably go in and then i right and i think about greg like this like head high wave just kind of just whoop. well thanks greg that's it and i kind of was at it wow i had to get in quick so i had to write down what i was thinking but he sent me right in i wrote it down i got in my notes so wow man yeah i can't imagine uh how hard it was to come back and have a crack at pipe after that injury uh what was the injury i think i might have even had this injury is a fractured skull and bleeding on the brain is that what it was um <laughs> yeah essentially essentially it was um like if you felt if you feel here it's like smooth but if you feel feel here it's all like a cratered out um, yep. so you cut this out and then plated it all back together ah uh, yep spider web and um i think i spent six or seven days in icu yeah and then spent another few months at home recovering 
my mom was a hippie. She, we, I grew up with, she grew up, she, she lived on Haight-Ashbury next to Jefferson Airplane. So wow. I, I, grew up, I grew up reading or looking at books of Ram Dass and listening to all that music, but I, I never totally got it or connected with it. Hmm. And then after my injury, someone's like, hey, you need to start meditating. And I dabbled in it and I'd, I'd always done stretching and yoga and whatever, but there was like this huge transition for me where I dove in and I'm just like I'm there now. I'm, I'm feeling a lot more connected and grounded, a lot happier, a lot, a lot um, more grateful. Yeah. Just, just a lot more present um, than I ever have been in my life. And I, and, and because of my family and my, I have two little girls, they're four and six, and my wife is also a doctor um, and Hawaiian. And um, we have this really, really supportive family with my, my mom and dad are around. They're separated, but they're both here in, in Aliva. And all of my friends, I was able to like come out of this. I could have went the other way pretty, pretty easy, I think. Like you go into a pretty dark place coming out of something like that. And I got a lot of love and light and support and here I am talking Epic, to you, man. On a roll, Cole. That's your nickname, man. <laughs> On a roll, yeah. It's great, man. Like in um, meditation, it's a big part of my life. Breath works a big part of my life, and for the same reasons, because just a history of head injuries. Um, uh, and it's so interesting what you were saying before, like you know, connecting to that quiet place that then that's where the thoughts the the genius the creativity comes from it's not you can't think your way into that place you, you get there by sitting still and connecting with the the buddha nature or the, the christ consciousness or whatever it is and in that stillness comes direction and um contentment and, and bliss and, and and visions of how you should be living your life how, how what is the correct way to treat people and yeah it's a profound tweak to your existence once you embrace those healing modalities that you've embraced but it's usually only after a point of crisis that we turn to them which is a bit of a shame but uh you know it is what it is um mm -hmm. yeah how has how your how's your relationship to surfing changed since uh you've embraced these these kinds of things and and, and even you know the kind of fairly adrenaline fueled life that you live or, or used to live yeah, I haven't I haven't lost the desire yet to to get a little rowdy. Um, I'm wondering when that's gonna happen. I chased a lot of snowstorms and I I, I I went down to Fiji this summer and got some. I went twice actually um, for two swell, two kind of different swell events. Um, but you know, I remember the first wave I caught after my accident. And I was on a, not knowing if I'd ever surf again, not knowing if my balance would come back because I had this crazy vertigo. Wow. Uh, and I remember it was right out here. And it was on a soft top and it was like a six inch wave, maybe, maybe bigger. And I remember the sensation like I do my very first wave when I was a kid, like just that gliding, even more, it's more vivid, just, just that flying gliding sensation. And Every time I surf, just being immersed, it, 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 like you said, like once once you once you connect to that and you and you and you 
and you start to slow your shit down a little bit. You start to breathe and you start to enjoy and appreciate how fucking beautiful the ocean and, and this planet we live on is, whether it's the mountains or the, or the surf for us. I mean, I mean that, that's it. Then you're, then you're, then you're there, then you're surfing and, and then you're connecting and then you're, you know, that crowds come and go, but like, we are so fucking lucky to be able to go out in the ocean and enjoy that. And um, I hope my kids, kids can do that because it's um, pretty special in the forests and the mountains. Like I, I, I spent a lot of time in the mountains and I was thinking about that earlier when I was thinking about my buddy, Greg out in Alaska who died how you know we're so lucky we're we're in the ocean and and they're getting that same feeling in the mountains because they're you know just being out there in nature you know and everyone in their respective worlds but you know we have we have sports but then we have these outdoor sports where 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 different athletes get to spend time immersed in, in elements that can potentially kill them and and get to, to enjoy that 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 beauty and that and have that moment of awe like that moment of just realization that we are just a speck here you know like that hum, that humble moment and i and i get that every time i surf now it's just fucking rad that's so rad yeah that that deep calm brings about that kind of real connection with the moment and with nature and when you just fixated on stuffing yourself in as many tubes as possible and like you know that kind of adrenaline mania you miss all those in between bits and that's where the gold is and and when you're properly connected it can only take like one wave to to make you your surf or your day or your trip it's a total recalibration of the the surfing experience yeah lose the expectations man yeah (laughs) I'll go to pipe now. If I get one, I get one. I'm good. I'm good. Anywhere, you know, like it doesn't matter. It's the process. It's the it's the journey. Totally. Talk to us about cloud break, man. You've you know got one of the best waves of all time out there. Um, how did you go on these trips? Uh, did you get good waves? Anything that stands up to to that wave? <laughs> no, I don't think any stood up to that one. So I was like, my. <laughs> A benchmark but i i um i have a blast every time i go i have, I have beautiful friends down there um my the tavita i was hanging with tavita and, and oh, yeah. shay and yuri and um the boys the fiji boys and i got to hang out on tabaro a bit with john roseman and kaio was there so i, I and and ben wilson and much I, I have a lot of friends we go there forever and it's it's it, for us it's it's one of the easiest trips from hawaii to for you guys too it's actually easier for you guys so close yeah yeah but we um i think what stood out to me this summer was my brother who has three kids and works a bunch he had this trip planned to lanai and i saw this like two little snots come up two swells and well, let's go and he's like, i can't i'm going with my wife to lanai about this thing and i'm like all right and so like the night before the swell, I poked him one more time. I'm like, hey, dude, you sure? It looks pretty, looks, looks pretty good. And, um, and then he texted me in the morning. I'm coming. I got a ticket. <laughs> so I got, I got, he canceled the trip with his wife. <laughs> it was cool. Though. And um, we, um, we went and spent um, like four or five days, two swells. And, 
and and it was a real windy event, so not a lot of people flew in for it. I think Kingy was there from Australia. I'm just trying to think of who came up from Australia, but um, it was um, yeah, it was epic, man. We got you know six to ten, twelve or whatever, six to ten, and a lot of tubes and good good quality time with my brother, and got to see dolphins and sunsets and sunrises and kite surf and do all the things. Um, and, and and we got little moments, man. We all got barrels. That's kind of kind of one of the things we go, we go for still. <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. And talk us through the, the the wave of your life. Like it's one of my favorite waves of all time. Uh, just the size of it and just the way you surf it. Like uh, finding a line through that thing. And you know, it's like fucking. It's so close to a make that you like. I don't know. Sometimes there's too much emphasis put on making a tube where it's like, if you get to the end of it and body surf out of it or like, you know, make it that far, it's like, it's just as good, isn't it? Like, I mean, not just, it's not as good, but it's fucking, it's still like, I don't know. It was amazing, man. Talk us through that thing. Yeah. That that whole trip even. It is what it was. And um, I I get back and uh, the surfer pull awards that year, they, they nominated me for wipeout of the year. I'm like, really? Wipe <laughs> out of the year. It was yeah. Anyway, so I um that was um 2009. I think it opened. The decree got um um it opened and Tabarol was closed and there was a big swell. Uh, and they were closing Tabarol. The guests canceled because oh no, we can't surf by ourselves. Whatever. Um and um. This was 2009, and we saw the swell, and a bunch of us from Hawaii all flew down, and John guys opened up Tabarua to us, and we stayed there. And this was my first time ever to Fiji in 2009, and it was, I think it was 2009, 2010, and it was, um, and it was rad. I got to, I was the first guy out at cloud break. My first moment at cloud break was big, windy, 20 feet. I went on the boat with Weiner, and I jumped off, and on uh, my nine six, and got a wave, big windy wave. So that swell was the, remember the Scardy wave? Yeah. It, so that was that swell. Um, that, that, that swell, that, that was the first one. And so then we're all hooked. Was, that Scardy wave was huge. It That was like a, a trippy wave for its time. Like I hadn't seen a, just a stretched out fucking drop like that before. And I didn't even know who Dave Scard was. And people were telling me he's Aussie. I was like, what the fuck? Who is this maniac? Yeah, no, that was epic. I didn't know who he was either, but now everybody does. So that was sick. So it was like, we got to see that. We got some waves and then we got a taste, right? We're like, oh, fuck, this place is insane. And these guys have been getting it like that for years, towing it, like, because they're, they can just run on the skis, the boatmen at Tabarua. But no one else had, you know, a lot of us didn't have the bucks to go to Tabarua or chase the swallow or whatever, right? It wasn't open to the public to chase. And then 2011 comes and all of a sudden, here we go again, big swell. But this time it looks fucking classy looks really good um looks like light wind no trades so we don't know what it was going to do but we get there with another crew i don't really know anyone down there yet so we stay on the mainland this time and um we get a boat out and the boys went out i think i was staying with a bunch of people but um they go out the first day i stay back i just relax because i'm like oh fuck, we're, we're, the big day's tomorrow i'm just gonna chill and then we go out the next morning and I have this um, board. I've been working off Fletcher Chenard. Um, 
it's like a you know we wanted it to shorten our our big wave board um which was like a lot of guys are writing bigger boards but this board was a seven six but we had a lot of volume in it um um I'm, I'll just give this a go. I get out there and it just starts pumping. It's just glassy and freaking. You've seen the videos and pictures. Like it, it's as good as it gets. Like can't imagine anything better. Um, unless you're a regular foot and you wanted to write, or but I mean, it was blue, sunny, and and perfect. And that wave in particular, I just remember being out there with all the boys and this big thing was just so stretched out. It just looked like we were way too far up the reef. But our, I had remembered from last time that, you know, you want the, you want to catch the ones that look like closeouts. And I'm like, fuck, this board's kind of small. I start paddling and paddle, 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 paddle. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. And then I hear Dave Wassel yell, like, go. But he's really, no. And I just hucked it. I just like one more dig and I just hucked it. And then it was just fucking, fucking toe braille on the board blind. And then boom, I just felt compressed. Like as I got to the bottom and I leaned into it and it, it was just so stretched out and far. I'm like, Oh my God. And the board at that point fucking did what everything it was supposed to do it just squirted and it just drove me up into the thing and then i'm like then i had i had time to process i'm like i could just see the barrel and i could see the see all the boats and i just kept trying to pull myself i was just pulling myself i kept sliding down i just kept pulling myself up and then it started to bend a little bit and i could see what was happening i see it going up and out and i knew i had to get up and i tried to get back up and i hit that shock wave and it knocked the board out from under me and i slid on my back you know maybe i should have just kept rolling and body surf but i slid on my back and i came out into the light and then <laughs> i was like ah! i just remember myself yelling and i broke the board and that you know it was the wave of my life so it, it was the ride of my life and and I loved every second of it. And I don't have any regrets on it. Like, yeah, we talked, me and Fletcher, my shaper, we talked, we've talked a lot about, fuck, what could we have done different? If I was on a bigger board, I probably wouldn't have been as, I would have been in earlier and not as deep. If I was on, um, we changed the rails, we changed the fins. But, but anyway, ultimately, I was in the tube on this beautiful wave and, and I'll have that memory forever. Fucking amazing, mate. That was such a good retelling. And, Compare it to, to Pipeline, you know, they're both big lefts on their day. There's little chip-ins available. Um, obviously, cloud breaks a lot longer. But, uh, I mean, did growing up surfing pipe kind of prime you well for, for cloud break? I imagine it did. The Hawaiians are so good over there. Fuck. Yeah, well, 100%. Big barreling lefts. They have that in common. Um, cloud breaks, obviously, are perfect. Um, has that like razor razor edge reef breaks from two to 20 plus whereas pipe is uh, the playing field's a lot bigger the takeoff's trickier obviously a lot more people um i think pipe it flexes out more um i don't know i feel i i hate comparing waves um but 
I love both of them. Um, I had a, I think the year before my accident, Rooster got a, I got a really nice wave up pipeline. Rooster got this beautiful backlit picture of it. Um, yeah, I've seen it. It's that, that's Kelly Slater's like favorite photo of pipe. I'm pretty sure. Is that the one? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That one's uh, fucked up. I don't know it's favorite photo, but it was, um, yeah, you can just see, I mean, you've seen pipe, but like there's just so much water and it gets so shallow and it's, um, yeah, pipe is a lifetime commitment for those guys that make it, um, make it their deal. You know, there's a lot of guys that are really fucking good out there and put a lot of time in out there. I've kind of had my moments and good ways, but there's just so many amazing surfers out there. And I've learned so much just by watching them over the years. I got to surf in the early days in the nineties and I've surfed all the way through till I'm still out there, man. Still getting it. <laughs> oh, so good. It's going to be weird. Is there going to be a day when I'm like, oh, I don't want to go out anymore. I don't want to surf pipe anymore. I haven't gotten there yet, but I know it's coming one day. I, yeah. But you know what's funny about that? How's this? So I, I got this opportunity to go to this Waterman's Ball uh, a couple of years ago, and, and Jock Sutherland, we were sharing a table with Jock Sutherland, absolute legend, um, pipe surfer. I think he's in his 70s now. And um, I'm all, hey, Jock, you want me to pick you up? I'll grab you. He's like, no, no, I'll, I'll come pick you up. I'll come pick you up. He always drives around his van and he, and he brings people smoked fish and avocados and he makes his avocado pie. He's, he's a fucking legend. And so he's like, I'll pick you up. I'm like, sick. Jock's picking me up and we're going to town. So I make myself a drink. I'm thinking, get in the car. And one of the questions I had for him was we, we talked the whole way. It was epic. There was traffic. So it slowed us down a bit. And I'm like, so when did you stop surfing pipeline, Jock? He's like, what do you mean? I surfed the last week. <laughs> yes. What a legend. He found out. It was like four foot and he caught some epic waves on his like big cruiser. No way. <laughs> Fuck, I love that. It's so good. And like, if you're going to dedicate your life to that wave, is it an inevitability that you're going to get seriously hurt? Like, is that just part of, of the price that you pay for a relationship with that joint? So Jerry called me after the accident. And he, you know, he's, he's, he got pretty hurt out there. Um, and he told me, you know, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when he's all, but you had one bad one. So you're good for a while. <laughs> that was yeah. his, um, and he told me to read, um, memoirs of a, uh, Yogi by, um, Yogananda. Ah. So I read, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. That's interesting, <laughs> man. So how did you come unstuck? Like, what were the, the circumstances there? How did I what? How did you come unstuck? Like, what were the circumstances of the injury? Like, how did that happen? Oh, dude, I don't know. It, it was it was trippy. I just kind of held my line and, and it just, I just got, I just bottomed out on the shallows. The wave itself, I knew it wasn't a good one. I, I It was just had a new fins in my board. I just wanted to feel it, but I could catch it. So it let me in. And I'm kind of feeling it and I pull into the inside and I had a moment like I could like, ah, I'm, I remember thinking I shouldn't pull in or maybe like, I didn't think it was that good. I just had this weird feeling and I almost kicked out and, but I pulled in and it just kind of bottomed out. And I don't know exactly if, you know, what's crazy is that I did have a, my shoulder hit. So I do think I hit the bottom really hard or well, I did. 
but I think the board hit me again and it might've wow. hit me in the exact same place. Like wow. when you look at the video, so it might've been like a double whammy. I don't know, but I definitely, it just bottomed out. I went like, I literally, I think I just went straight to the bottom. Like it wasn't even a, it wasn't like I, oh, I fell and then went over the falls and hit. Well, I mean, yeah, probably that's what happened, but it was like, I fell and then it just happens so fast, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't I don't even remember it. Mm. I don't. I just remember seeing the video, and I didn't watch the video. I don't watch any of it for a year. The first thing I remember seeing was the the angels that work on the beach, the lifeguards all around me. I was on a flatboard and I had an oxygen mask on. Mm. I remember the ride in the hospital, fucking sucking balls. I was puking the whole way, and it's a blur. But it was the most. I was in so much pain, and they can't give you any pain medicine. Mm. Um, but my wife was working at the time and she's a doctor and she's like, oh, fuck, talk and die. Where like all of a sudden you're talking and die because you're, you're hemorrhaged really quick. Um, so she doesn't know if she's going to, she leaves Wahiwa Hospital and makes it to Queens. Uh, she doesn't know if I'm going to die between that time and that time. So she's obviously freaked out. And then we get in uh, uh, the neurosurgeon, Reed Yoshida, who did the surgery um, had gone to residency with her, so they knew each other. And I fucking it was seamless. I slipped right in, did the thing, went to the ICU, came home, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was obviously it was obviously life changing. But I'm so fortunate and lucky to have it life changing in in, in the good 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 spectrum. Because mm. um, like I said earlier, like if I didn't have support, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I had a lot of vertigo. I had a lot of headaches. And I started meditating. And I, I haven't, you know, it's funny. I I haven't missed like a morning meditation and stretching yoga since pretty much since I was able to do it after my accident, like pretty quickly after. Um, except uh, Burning Man. It would just have, it was, you know, we'd party for 24 hours straight and walk around camps and like the schedule's all, all whacked out. You know, you mm. may party, watch the sunrise and you may sleep from like one to five and then go back out again. Mm. So I had moments, I did some really cool breath workshops and did some yoga classes, but my normal routine that I've been able to, you know, semi-maintain, which is, which, which has been really good for me was a little disrupted at Burning Man, but other things came out of it you know mm. so it was it was, a, it, was a, it was actually a nice little break because you don't want to get stuck in shit you don't want to be like oh i have to do this every morning if i don't i'm fucked so it's good it's, it's good to break you out of that a little bit too mate that is fascinating I, I live an identical life to that i can relate to so many things you said there like um just in terms of like the routine and structure is critical to rehabilitating brain injuries uh but at the same time you can begin to fucking hate a lot of the shit you have to do, like the meditation, the breath work, the ice baths, the the exercise, like, you know, it can become a bit of a grind. And then as soon as I travel or, or, or party or, or get run down or tired, that's when the, the kind of head noise and the, I don't know, the, the pain ratchets up and I start to really buy into the fear that like, maybe I'm fucked. Maybe I'm going to get CTE when I'm older, like, and like, maybe like all this anxiety is a result of the head injury. And like, actually my brain is injured. Like I start to get these like thoughts and, and voices that I buy into, but it's only once I really 
uh, remove myself from the structure and, and routine I've set. But when you, like you said, go to these amazing events, uh, we've done a couple very similar to Burning Man. Now you talk about it, Swellness, uh, you know, all the icons, Tom Carroll, which you've asked like um, there. And that somehow when you're in the collective and you make an authentic heartfelt connections and you're doing that work even if it's a little bit more sporadic yoga breath work and stuff um you can survive and thrive at times i don't think you do i don't tend to do as well but uh yeah it, it can supplement the the lack of structure just having that really uplifting environment like it's worth doing that it's it's worth even if you're sick or or have some injury it's still worth going to these events and being a part of a, a massive human energy and ideas like that, it, you take so much from it. Yeah, and, and like you just said, that routine thing, and I, I think it's more more on not so much on what you're changing the routine for, but actually accepting the fact that you're you're breaking out of that just for a bit, and then you you can because you can always return to it, but not get stuck, being flexible, mm. and 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 it allows you to to be flexible in other areas of your life and not so rigid so it flow a little bit yeah, yeah and, and, that, and that and that's and like the things i got out of yeah like you said like the, the wellness retreats and all that stuff you take you pick and choose but it's just being there and being around like-minded people and you know you may may not agree with the teacher on every aspect you may not your body may not get the benefits you're hoping for but at the same time if you just release it and just be there and go with that energy a lot of times that's just enough, you know, like you're there. So, so that's fun. And yeah, because we do, we do as humans, I think we do get tend to, we, we tend to get stuck in ruts and that's why psychedelics are so rad and, and, mm. and events like this. And that's why fucking surfing so rad. If you're, if you're open to, and just being in nature is so rad because it just, just connecting to like going on a hike in the, in the woods. I mean, just being surrounded by, in the mountains, ocean, like just means like if, if you allow that space to be what it is and appreciate nature for what it is, then you're 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 already you're there. And, and and that's why I feel so grateful to be a surfer and get to do it. And and yeah, it's it's special. We we live a special life. I think as surfers we're very lucky. I mean and most of us get it. I think overall surfers are generally pretty rad fucking humans. Um, there's there's some exceptions that aren't quite there, <laughs> but but for for the most part, I mean, if you look across the board, all of our our peers and like you know Tom and Jerry, all these guys, and like Sean Thompson wrote a radical book about the sage and the surfer. I don't know if you saw that, but you know they're they're, they're very spiritual, and I, I think it's it it at some point it's inevitable you're gonna get there if you keep surfing and keep immersing yourself um, because it has so much to offer, and you just gotta be willing. And yeah, and the travel part of the survey, I've, I've been so fortunate to work with Patagonia and, and they've been very supportive of my, my space and, and, and what I do. And, and uh, they've allowed me to rampage the globe, um, you know, and, and on that, my carbon footprint, I keep going back to this. I've dove into a lot about carbon footprint and offset lately and, um, looking at all the solar systems I've installed. So I, I feel a little less guilty, but the truth is it's right there. And there's all these, there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot more accessible now for all of us to dive in and, and, and kind of 
and be careful too because sources are you know but like like just read david attenborough's book his uh-huh. new book he's 94 yeah. year old he's his whole life fucking at bbc he got to witness what he saw and what he documented and what he did in his lifetime he's basically coming back and saying i've seen all this i've seen the changes here are the facts and here's what um we can do it's yeah. not yeah it, it's epic Epic, yeah. Uh, he put out an amazing film uh, that touches on a lot of what you're talking about. That basically spanned his entire career. Um, just real quickly, man. You know what the solution is? You know what the fucking? You know what all this is about? This is sure. my take on it. This is so. As you oh, mentioned, shit. where are we going? Right, I'll, I'm going to make this like within 30 seconds. I'll try it. So, because I, I guess growing up digging holes, like if you couldn't get messages across simply on building sites, like they fucking, they were never going to take off. But my theory is this, right? So we have this exploding global population. That's like kind of the problem is that uh, there's too many people. And if they all want to live a, a, a healthy middle-class life, like there's just not enough resources, right? Now, the reason there's too many people, this is the karma that the West is facing because birth rates tail off the more wealth and education you have the richer and better educated you are as a nation the more your birth rate declines so we've been stealing the resources of fucking africa the middle east southeast asia for centuries i guess uh and all those places there that's where the birth rates are exploding because people are still having kids to uh for the social security you know it's your own workforce so by if we redistribute wealth to those places bring up their education and uh basic wealth standards they're not gonna the the birth rates are gonna taper off the the global population will stabilize and there won't be this pressure uh, on the environment but that's not really a conversation that's happening that the redistribution of wealth from the global north to the global south on that, you know, a hundred percent, like the, the, and empower women, you, you empower women and give them education and they have uh, more value in, in society. They're going to have less children. Um, so totally education, improving, improving lifestyle and empowering women in, in India. Um, there's a, uh, I was just reading stuff in how there's this, a lot of the young girls, don't don't go past for um school when they're 14 years old and they have chores to do and stuff and the schools the high schools are too far so there was an organization that donated like a few hundred thousand bicycles to these to these girls and there's pictures of these girls now right in the high school and they're finishing out their education so there is programs in place to help this and, and that's true like we've hit japan kind of hit there like there, there's a trajectory and like what you were talking about birth rate and death rate and at that point and it's these countries that are more impoverished that are having more children because probably and we are exploiting them yes we are mm. but there's also programs to buy before us in southeast asia um un has a program called reddit i think it's called um where you can purchase i mean it comes it comes with its own problems but yeah, it cracks me up there's always this like we steal their resources and money and then drip feed it back to them in the form of these fucking yeah. bodgy programs it's like just give the cunts the money they know how to spend it <laughs> give, them, give them back what you took uh, and they will stop having eight kids and six kids and uh, a family and fucking the whole world will write itself. But that's karma, man. You know, karma is just uh, 
Uh, it's the, the there's a deed, there's an action, and there's a reaction to that action. And if the West wanted to uh, steal resources for all this time and and continue to have its foot on the throat of the global South, of course the universe, God, whatever it is, is going to come up with some way to to fuck us over. Like that's just the the law of the universe as I understand it. You know, there's always this karmic unintended consequence that you can't see at the time when you're ripping someone off, but it comes at some point. I think there's this, you know, there's this focus on, on moving forward, this great acceleration. I think David calls it Attenborough, but it's, it's this, this, this constant focus on the GDP uh, and this growth. We need to, we need to remove ourselves from that. And, and concentrate on our people, all the all the things from poverty to education to healthcare, um, reliable energy, and focus inward. And and then, yeah, like you said, we can't we can't keep moving forward like the way we are because we're gonna eat, we're gonna destroy ourselves. Mm. Um, there's got to be a shift, a mindset shift, and and we and, and a lot of a lot of areas that, that that's happening. But in a lot of areas, like you said, it's not. Um, and I hope we can we can find the balance um, because we're all having. Well, I have, I have kids, and if they have kids, and I guess it, you know, we want we want to be able to live here on Earth and enjoy it the way we want them to enjoy it the way we did. And yeah, it's scary. It's scary to think about it. That's why it's easier. Like we talked about at the beginning of this this um, conversation, it's easier to ignore it. You know, and, and like perception, like we talked about, like whoever you follow on Instagram, like that's crazy. Like, like your feed on your social media can dictate the way you think. We're all born very similar, like just beautiful bits of light and energy, and then we're conditioned by our influences and our upbringings and wherever it may be. And and nowadays with social media, we're 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 even more contained and more put into these little little channel so breaking out of it man right i mean that's why like i guess that's why we're talking right mm. yeah and i'm glad we are because you know you, you're talking about breaking out of it and and, and finding new models and, and solutions patagonia is such a big part of that moving forward i don't think there's a ballsier organization on earth uh what yvonne shunar just did uh with the company uh, essentially donating it back to the people. Um, you know, talk to us about your time with Patagonia. Have you spent much time with Yvonne? And um, yeah, you know, what a journey it's been, man. I love their team, yourself, Ramon, um, and, and many others. Uh, Kimmy Werner, um, the, the epic female uh, spearfishing champ. And yeah, talk to us about, I guess, uh, yeah, how the relationship started. Um, and who you've become close to over the years that yeah it's um i mean Avon's a legend he's he's salt of the earth kind of a i mean look at his life i don't know if you've read his book let my people go surfing they give you a little window into his like his his thought process on and what he's done in the industry and what he's done as a human um, and his love for our natural world um, and being able to work with them and, and, and all the athletes that they've chosen to kind of work together with them. We have Dan Ross and Belinda Bags in Australia. Yep. And, you know, we have 
we have ambassadors all over the all over the globe. Not a ton, but we have some really great humans that um, kind of span a wide variety of sports. And we have these um, monthly um, global kind of team meetings with the surf team, and we get to connect and, and share stories and talk. And yeah, I feel privileged to 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 be able to you know represent that that brand and and, and share. And I, I think it's because we share that you know similar ethos. But Yvonne, he's rad. His son Fletcher is rad and their whole family like them yeah i can't say enough good things like his son like decided to shape surfboards and decided to make there's a new movie called uh, foam dust um check it out it's on youtube um but anyway it tells us 25 year history of fcd surfboards and their um goal to make uh and their path to make a more sustainable surfboard and um i think down in milburn or Torquay, they just opened up a um, FCD shop or they're going to start manufacturing the boards for the first time outside of Ventura. Um, they're going to start making them in um, Australia to ship to Japan and uh, Australia. So like it kind of tells the story of this cool little rootsy company under, you know, at the Patagonia headquarters that started making surfboards. And it was basically a bond going, okay, fuckers, you make me a surfboard that's less toxic and I can't break. And they're like, how the fuck did we do that? And so they just, they just went for it and they started playing with different resins, different material, different stringers. And, and they've, and, and, you know, I'll let you watch the movie, but it's, it tells this whole story of, and that's just a small sector of this man's like, you know, genius. Like, I don't know if you heard about like, for example, cotton, like they were using, they were using cotton in, in their clothing. And then he's mm. like, you know what? We got to go organic cotton because the pesticides and all this shit is running the rivers and, and destroying the soil and blah, blah, blah. So he made this switch and it almost sunk the company, but now everybody's doing it. Him and a buddy started 1% for the planet. And um, that was years ago. And now he's hundred percent for the planet. Like he's always trailblazing. They, they were the first to switch to a B Corp. He, he's always just a little bit ahead of the curve. He's one of those humans that have just always just been right there. And and, and th I think that's what's so that's so so neat to have that in that inspiration. Because maybe maybe one day one of us ambassadors will do something like that, you know. And and, and you know they say to surround yourself with people that inspire you and encourage you to do bigger things so i think that's yeah I, I'm, I'm super grateful grateful to be, and the clothing's rad like everything mm -hmm. they do is pretty pretty awesome um and you can and it's a guarantee for life i mean not too many companies do that yeah i can't say that i don't want to patagonia out here but i can't no, say it's amazing it's genius it's genius and I mean, his story is just remarkable, you know, like, uh, what was he like some kind of mechanic, like just like a, a typical kind of blue collar guy who had his passions in fishing, surfing, and uh, made a quit as a, as a mechanic. And from that point on, like, you know, he was just a, a an artisanal guy who understood the mechanics and fabrics and, and had a passion that didn't rely on material wealth you know he never that was never his passion it was he was never about that so kind of makes sense like he he really is just trying to free up the time to to follow his passions i.e surfing fishing climbing 
Um, yeah. and, and that means, fuck, yeah, we, we don't need much money for that shit, man. And, and you live a happier, healthier life. And he's, that's been his kind of signature and his big influence is like, um, taking, you know, his- he, he still, he still doesn't fly first class and he still has a shitty old set Subaru. Living out of a Subaru climbing and he still has the Subaru. Like he doesn't give a fuck about money or material. He just like it. It, it all felt like it just channeled through the right dude. Like it, it's pretty rad. Like he, he's a dirtbag climber. He's like us, you know, like surfer climber. And he just figured it out. Figured out a way to just to help save the planet. Really, like that's where all his every all his resources go. Like th- those guys, they do so much. Like that you don't even know about land preservation helping nonprofits, and it's pretty incredible it's inspiring man it really is and not a moment too soon i can't express my uh gratitude for that company and yvonne anymore um mate talk to us about growing up in hawaii i'm always fascinated by this uh you know i haven't spent a bit of time with jamie and um kind of his crew and and understanding what he had to go through growing up there on the North shore. Like it was not a super friendly place for a, for a, yeah, a non-native Hawaiian uh, at times for him anyway. Um, and some of his mates, they just had to fucking fight a lot. Um, I, I can kind of imagine that. What was it like for you though? You grew up on the, the East side, right? Um, of Oahu. Yeah. And was it like, yeah. How did you navigate Hawaiian culture growing up there uh and, and making your market pipeline to yeah um well yeah i grew up on the east side we had um we had until about seventh grade i just went to public school on the east side and yeah we had that there was like you know there's always fights but there's fights at every school i it wasn't um super bad um where i was um we had some really shitty waves uh, but we had a special little wave on a reef outside of a, an area that you can only access by boat. So at a very young age, I learned to um, operate little boats, little dinghies and, and go out and anchor and surf this little left-hand slab. And it would work when the trade winds were up, which was, you know, 75% of the time when it was nuking trades, it was good. And it, would, and it was the slabby left. So that was kind of where we got a lot of practice and, and growing up in Kailua, I, I, I didn't have a license or until I got a license, I had to get rides. And then when I was 16, I got a truck and we started driving in the North shore. Um, but I, um, I got to go to uh, the high school called Punahou, which is uh, one of the best high schools in, in the nation. And um, it's where, where Obama went. There were a bunch of, oh, uh, Jerry, um, Dave Walton, a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of, bunch of people, Fred Hemmings, Fred Van Dyke. Wow. A uh, bunch of surfers um, that you've heard of have gone there. And it's, um, it, it was, it's a really special school. And so I got, I was the one kid out of 400 that didn't go to college. Um, hmm. I fucked off and, and went to, I bought a ticket to, a circle Pacific Tika right when I got out of high school. I'm like, Mom, Dad, I'm out of here. I bought a ticket and I went to Tahiti, Rapa Nui, Chile, Mexico, Hawaii. And I was going to go for a little bit. I didn't know. I ended up being gone for a year and ended up living on Rapa Nui for um, 
for seven months, fell in love four times, and <laughs> right. I served when I was 18 and, and learned how to speak Spanish and, and landed in Chile. A dude, I know we segued from your original question, but this is good. No, it's I, amazing. I, yeah. This was before, um, you know, obviously before iPhones, this was in the 90s, and this dude showed up and he showed me these pictures of the north of Chile, these slabby waves. I don't know if you've heard of like El Bue or Colegio mm, and sure. in Arica Desert, the, mm. the north, Atacama Desert. And I'm like, dude, that looks sick. He lived up there. I got to go there. So we, I went and visited him. And while I was there surfing these waves, um, I went up to Machu Picchu and did all that on a bus with a, a dude from Rapa Nui. We went together. And then this other guy showed me this picture of the south of Chile. He's like, check this out. And it was like this perfect point. Portecillo back when there was there was no houses, nothing down there. And I'm like, I got to go there. But I'm fucking broke dick. I have no money. So I ended up flying home, um, working a bit. And that and that sent me on. I went back to Chile, hitchhiked down to the south of Chile, and met some dudes down there, and and did another long run, and started met Ramon. No and, way! You met him on that first trip. So, well, second trip when I second came trip. back. Yeah, yeah. So the, but in the nineties, I had no money. Um, a dude I met on Rapa Nui, Matias Lopez, a Chilean. He's um he's holding a contest at Punta de Lobos, the big left, mm -hmm. and this first big contest. It was 1998. I had an 8.0 Kim Bradshaw gun. And I rock up. I'm like, I'm like, how much is it to enter? He's like, it's 20 bucks. I'm like, dude, I don't have 20 bucks. He's all, but I knew him. He's like, if you if you make any money, just pay me back. So I entered it. I ended up winning. And um, I got 500 bucks. Paid him back. I think I did. And I, I spent almost, I think almost all of it at the disco that night buying everyone drinks. Um, and then we fucked off to... Um, Forte C or something. And that's when I met Ramon and Diego and Christian Morello, all these young Chileans that, that, that real next, the first generation of professional Chilean surfers. Mm. I, I met them when they were all like 14 and that next winter, 16, 18, however old they were. I'm like, while I was there, I'm like, Hey, Ramon, you should come out to Hawaii. So he shows up. I'm, I rent a spot on the North Shore my first, in 1999, 2000 winter up at Pubakea in this place we called Third World because it was just all jungly and there was no battle. It was just fucking. And Ramon shows up with uh, Diego Medina and this other dude with a hundred bucks between the three of them. And they stay the whole winter. And um, right when they get there, I take Waimea, Ramon out to Waimea that first morning and give him a board and we paddle out together for the first time. And then fast forward I think two, 10 years we're surfing in the Eddie I cow together. Um, I think he's still writing for Quicksilver and then that whole thing imploded and I was able to put in a good word and get him on the Patagonia team. And so, and, and, and since then we surfed in three Eddies together. Wow. Man, I love yeah. that. I love that story. Yeah. Ramon's one of the most fascinating characters in modern surfing, uh, you know, the guy who put Chilean surfing on the map, got that crazy one at cloud break in 2012, like pretty much the, the first psycho make of the day. And, uh, you know, obviously has set the standard at El Bui and, um, you know, fuck man, he's just such a, what, what is he like the, the son of a fisherman, like very humble, uh, kind of salt of the earth upbringing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He grew up right there. He's, um, he's freaking rad. He's just, he's, he. He's super funny too, super sarcastic. Chileans are funny. They'll give you nicknames and just take the piss out of you all day. Probably similar to us, uh, Australians. 
But they'll just they'll just fucking go all day long. They won't stop. They'll just fucking go. <laughs> Um, so but he's, he's rad he, he, he's fun and, and we've been friends since then and and back to that back to the last big that toe wave he got so uh remember the toe wave at um fucking the wave of all waves at fiji a cloud break just recently not recently but the the one that he, I, the last big swell at cloud break we had seen those so fast forward after the one i got that bluebird wave we go to the Volcom contest one. We yeah. got that good. That was 2014, I think. Right. And he got that long one, like, kind of like the one you're talking about. Yeah, it comes across the phone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, So we got that one. And then the two mutant waves come in. I paddle for one, thinking I'm like actually going to catch it. But there's like looking at the video, there was no way it broke away. And then Healy swam through it. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you were paddling for that, trying to get into it. I paddle for the first one. Oh, yeah, you can see it. It lifts me. And I actually thought it was in it. Wow. Well, this is it. The one we've been waiting for. I'm a nineteen. <laughs> I'm like, ah. And then all of a sudden, it just like blows me back. And I turn around, and the next one is just as big. And I see fucking Healy. <laughs> I'm the closest one to Healy. He's right there. And I look at him. Wow, fuck! I'm glad I'm not that guy. Because <laughs> he was like, I'm, and I'm barely pounding up the corners, looking down. I see him like take his leash off and swim through it. And so we saw those two waves and it was like, oh, fuck, that was it. And I looked at the video. I'm like, dude, there's no way. I, even if I was, I would have had to have been so much farther under it than I thought I was to get it. And so that next swell came, that big one where Makua got that big wave. And it was more of a toe swell. It was kind of jumbly, but a lot of guys paddled. And then, uh, like, I, we, me and Ramon towed in the morning. And I think we paddled. And then I'm like, dude. I talked to a freaking sponsor. I talked to these guys. There's gonna, there's probably gonna be a rogue wave. There's gonna be a wave with the tide dropping like the ones we saw. And so I'm um, a Ramon, it's your turn. Do you want to do this? I'll we'll wait out the back. And so we went and we literally waited out the back maybe four or five hours. And like Ramon's like, let's go in. And I was just ignoring him. <laughs> We're calling on the radio. Is it good? And I'm like, I'm at, and that part, the sun's like fuck dude the sun's going down but like we're all in like we just put everything on the table now like we can't go back and grab our paddle boards and try and get something like if it's gonna come it's one of those moments where like you like have that feeling where i do at least like if i leave the wave's gonna come yeah i'm just and i'm committed now i've already been out here hours and um and it was and then i remember um one other tow team came out it was some dude with um so Jared White came out with some other dude and then they were sitting next to us and we had drifted pretty far out and then we'd go in drift out because the wind you know we kept going in and out and um Ramon's laying on the slat I'm just sitting there looking out the sea just fucking trying to like concentrate and then all of a sudden it was weird it was like you could just feel it the ocean just went like it was just one wave too it was like and it was like this, it was, it was a, just a quick decision. And I'm like, oh, this is it. You know what? Fucking grabs it. Fucking brah. And I'm going in and it's like blind because we're pretty far out. And I'm going in and then I can see the reef and I, I can see the, the crowd over to the left. And the boats are beyond that, that way. And I'm going in and it's dark water because it goes from deep to shallow real quick. And you can see the color change now of the reef. It just gets really light and green. And then I know it's like on and I, and I kind of let him in. 
and I look and he's going and then then that was it you know for me that was my part and I go out and I go around the crowd and I see everyone like looking and yelling and then I start to head towards the boats and then I just see fucking all the boats just go fucking nuts and fucking just screaming and he kicks out right into fucking Kelly Slater was there again to see that like he was right there it was it was pretty rad like like that I got chicken skin again because that moment was like it had been like you know years since I think it was 2000 whatever year we said the Vulcan was that we saw those crazy waves yeah like are we gonna get a chance and then boom we got it and it was like I mean for me I got the wave too because it was like was part of it you know but it was our connection, me and Ramones, from fucking, you know, meeting in Chile in the nineties. <laughs> it all, it all kind of like came, yeah. and then, I mean, you've seen that wave. Just Google the Ramon Navarro's tow wave at Fiji, and um, yeah, it, it, so that was the wave of the swell, the wave of the day, and then we're done. Then we went and drank, and celebrated. I oh, love it. I think yeah. we went back out this morning. We didn't drink too much actually, because I knew there might be a window in the morning. And we, we got out there and we beat everyone out and we had a little window and then I think everyone went home. But we were doing a Bragg Summit in Chile. So get this. I just forgot about this. So, you know, Bragg, that organization with the ocean safety. Brian oh, okay. Kilana, the right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we teach ocean safety and we do these summits. So we had planned one in Chile. I think it was our first big one or second big one in Chile. We've done a few now down there. And... Um, it was my first time my wife had been to Chile and my little baby. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, we're doing this break summit, babe. Do you want to come? She's like, oh, whatever. So the baby flies for free because it's under two. And I was going to do it with Greg and, and Ramon. And we fucking land there. Greg, Greg's on our flight. We rent a car. We drive south. And as we're like driving south, Greg's just over here on his phone, just kind of tweaking. He's like, fuck, dude. Kind of getting bigger. The swell is looking pretty good. I'm because like, oh, usually they like get big and then they kind of go under and around New Zealand. Yeah, they, they don't always go up, you know. So we're like, and they start ten days out. They look. So we're like, oh, whatever. We're here. We're committed, man. We're gonna do this. Doesn't matter. Let's not think about it. Yogi style, you know. So we're <laughs> trying not to think about it. And fucking, we get down to my buddy's farm in the south, and he has no reception except on the top of this hill. And Greg Long is like walking up there like every hour, like trying to like reboot. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I got my, my wife and my kid. I'm like, dude, we're here, man. Let's just fucking. And then it's starting to get like real. A couple of days on the farm, we're surfing, eating. It's epic. The kid, my little kid's having a blast. She's like one and a half, you know, young, but she's still enjoying it. Um, we found one of those big Amanita muscaria mushrooms. I have this picture of her holding this, uh, you know, the Alice in Wonderland mushrooms? Yeah, yeah, the red and white ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's like holding this mushroom that's like, she's it's bigger than her whole head. No so, way. Wow. Yeah. So we were, um, we, we uh, were like, okay, well, we need to go up. We need to leave the farm. We need to go to Punta de Lobos where the, we're going to have this safety summit, this really cool place called Hotel Alaya. And we get there, we drive up there. And now the swell is real. Now it's three days, like four days away, I think. And like we have, to, it's like everything's looking like it's going to be a fucking monster. And so Greg had just had like a hernia surgery or something. So he wasn't a hundred, even though he's just frothing on the, on the forecast, like more than I was. And he's like, you know what? 
me and Ramon are like, fuck, we kind of got to go. And like, he's like, okay, you guys go. I'll hold down the summit. And I'm like, babe. She's like, yeah, just go. <laughs> so, so she, I changed her ticket. She just flew home by herself after I, and I but I left like that night. Wow. And um, Greg pulled down the summit. Um, we did a live, live conference like we're doing now, this live kind of whatever yeah. feed or whatever. We did a live call with the class um, after he got the wave. He's on the front page of the newspaper. He's like, welcome home as a hero. Ramon Navarro gets the wave of the century, like on the front page. It was so because we not like you're talking about karma, like there was this thing. I don't know. It was just funny how it all happened, but it all worked out. So that's another another chapter of power break. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Cause I mean, ultimately your surfing exploits is what led you to have the influence to, to be able to deliver those summits. So, uh, of course, you're going to chase your passion, and which is big waves at cloud break, and that's only going to deliver more uh, publicity to your summit. So, yeah, kind of, it's all karmically in sync. Uh, <laughs> Man, what about... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, well, I was going to say, like, what about that that 2012 swell, man? Like, that that thing was was bizarre. Like, what are your memories of that day? Um, uh, I had a lot of waves I didn't make, like I was too deep. Um, I had some bombs. I had one really good one that I didn't make. Um, I think the biggest memory for me was I I'd met my buddy Yuri down there and he, I, I told him, Hey, there's another big swell. So I kind of helped organize, like it was from Kala Alexander to Kalani Chapman to like we had like this group of like Hawaiians that flew down and I organized these two boats of Yuri or Yuri helped organize. We all stayed together at Smuggler's Cove, the shit hole little backpackers in, in Nandi beach. Smuggler's Cove. It's a backpackers, but it's like every night it's like pressing the refresh button. You just get this new busload yeah. like every day. Uh, it's pretty fun. It's I wonder pretty- how they got the startup capital to start that business. Fucking hell, Smuggler's Cove, classic. <laughs> Smuggies. So anyway, we um we stayed there and we took the boats out and it was the Volcom contest, right? Um, this is the one you're talking about, right? Yeah. The Volcom. Yeah. So it was the Volcom contest, but we all knew it was going to get too big. I mean, like everybody, we knew it was going to get huge. Um, so we're all just frothing. We're like just. We're on this, we're on the, we're all on the boats. They're having the contest in the morning and everyone's like waxing up their boards. It's like all these dudes that came down to surf, like the bigger waves, you know? And, um, so eventually they, they do end up calling the contest because there's a set that comes through. It just breaks top to bottom out the back. And everyone's like, wow, let's go. So they called it and we all paddled out and, and it was kind of cool because they had the safety already going and they had a commentary and then dave Dave, fucking dave comments the whole day and then he paddles out and get the bomb of the day that was evident in like 30 seconds right you talk about you talk about cosmic karmic shit like a having him on the mic during that swell event was him and slater just fucking talking us through it as we're watching the craziest shit anyone has ever seen go down in real time and then the guy paddles out on his fucking 10 2 and just gets the end game pit it was psycho so classic one and yeah, done was, what a legend yeah no that, that that was amazing so he 
Yeah, he got his reward for sitting out the whole day. Just like boom, I I put in some hard hours. I got some wipeouts. Got one good one. Got a bunch of closeouts, and I actually ended up getting two covers from that from that swell. Really? Wow. Yeah, that's mental. And what about the beatings? Like, what's what's going on in one of them? Is that must be the fuck? Uh, is it as violent as I have? You imagine? I have this. Um, I have this heartbeat. Um, kind of ecogram board design that my i didn't choose it my glasser did um sammy this amazing glasser sammy Sueno for fcd surfboards he's just a guru and he'll he'll choose different um graphics but he started to run with this like kind of like a ekg thing and there's this classic picture that um that runs somewhere on i've seen it it's been floating around but it's like my board's tombstoning and it's just like half of the heartbeat sticking out. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Beep. Yeah. The, yeah, the, Beep. The, yeah the, this, I think this swell we had best. And then we were wearing like um, just the impact best, not mm. like a full. And the 2011 one, we we had nothing. I never, I just had a white t-shirt. Yeah. Or, you know. And then, and then now fast forward, even on these six to eight foot days, I was wearing like a little vest. I mean, I'm in a different headspace now with my injury. The vanity is gone. I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to, um, if it's going to allow me to come home and see my kids, then I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to, like, if it's dangerous. And I, I think it comes out of that feeling, right? Like, if you're feeling this dangerous and if you're sitting on the boat going, oh, should I wear it or shouldn't I? Probably should wear it. Like, that's, like, that's my, like, mindset now. Um. I'm talking about like the vest or the helmet mm. or whatever. I mean, I've seen enough head injuries and I've had enough friends die where surfing that, um, yeah. 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 And that's a whole nother conversation, but I mean, you go to the ski slopes now and every single perceptor is wearing a helmet. I'm not saying that it's ever going to happen in, in, in the surf world, but I think there are spots like, like pipeline and stuff where probably a pretty good idea to, wear some head protection mm. uh, but it's everyone's choice right but absolutely um and, and back to pipe man like yeah talk us through making your mark out there like uh you know the 90s was gnarly man like uh you know that kind of the hooey crossover into the wolf pack um you know no camera phones so like there's the shit that goes down is just no one's capturing it fuck all cops around really like um compared to now so it was, wild, it was the wild west for sure those night late 90s mid 90s i mean all all of that time before me even but that time was the, the time i got to experience it was it was a lot different than it is now that's for sure um Braden diaz was freaking yeah it, it was um it was a, it was fun to be part of and you know i can't really say i've made much of a mark out there i've got some good waves but it's been a fun ride you know it's been like a it's, 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 it's like, like we said earlier, it's kind of a, there's, you, you build a, it's a lifetime relationship um, with that, that wave is, it was fucking, um, I think I, I, I had a quote in Surfer Magazine one long time ago when they did something on the pipeline posse. I think it said something like, um, pipe will make or break you in a single wave. No, it's, it's pipe has attracted some of the craziest motherfuckers on the planet. And it will make or break you in a single wave or something like that. And and I, I read that 
because I had it in my up on my barn in the um, on the farm in the bathroom on the wall. There's a picture, and um, you know it's true. It's 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 a place where you know careers are made and, and broken and, and people die. It's 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 heavy, man. It's a heavy spot. It's it's a lot of respect. You got to have a lot of respect for it, and it, it can, you know nobody's immune to the dangers. Um, some guys seem like they are like some guys have gone forever and just crushed it. But um, for most people, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, and I got mine pretty bad, but I'm still here luckily. And then it comes down to like, do I keep going back? And, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's more, I, I don't want to say it's for the ego because I don't, I don't feel like I have anything to prove out there anymore. I feel like I can go out and not get away with but I feel like there's still a challenge and, and, and there's a special relationship. I mean, I've had people ask me, are we really going to go back out there, dude? You got a family now, man. What the fuck? Not in that tone, but you know, I know that's what some people might be thinking. Um, and my wife doesn't question it, which is rad because she knows. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I'm sure there's similar struggles and in, in, in parts of people's lives all over the world and different, different, different categories. But mine is like, how long do you keep doing it? Um, I'm really stoked. I got that beautiful wave. I could just end it right there. Right. Mm. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe I will. Yeah. And then the winter, winter comes and it's good and going off. I think as long as I'm feeling sharp and healthy and I have a helmet and, and yeah, I'm, I mean, why not? Like, as long as you not, want, if you want one, like it really comes down to that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you want to just be out there. You're not doing it for anyone but yourself. Yeah. And you're just having fun. Like, just being like, and honestly, I'll go down there and just watch it on the ski um, with Russo. We'll go out and we'll go out and fuck off and surf some other ways and we'll pull in and just sit there and watch it. And it's just so mesmerizing. It's one of the coolest things ever just to be there. Yeah. There's so many good kids now too. Oh my gosh. Like they're just ripping. Like I can't even like they're just way better than any of us ever were. Yeah. So, Some of those Japanese groms in the backdoor shootout were blowing my mind. They're like 16 years old. I can't imagine they fucking had any waves out there just sending it and and you know, knifing it, pulling it off. It's mental. Dude, it's funny you say that because I spent a lot of time chasing um typhoons with kinsan in, in japan over the years and i've gotten to surf some heavy fucking waves with those guys True. and they charged dude like they've mm. been like i was like the kid kato like won the actor shoot or he won the wave or the whatever mm. uh, i got to surf with him in this left slab at um down in the ishigaki this like um anyway this um crazy island crazy wave um and he um he was literally like taking off on these waves i didn't want anything to do with at all and it, it was backside i was like holy fuck it was like in front of the try to drain and it was just dry reef and they're just like my like, dude five's not five's going down it's not <laughs> Like there was no margin for error. So yeah, so I, I, I got to see, I got to surf with a bunch of these kids and I think their mindset. And then they, it was so cool to see them apply that to pipeline and 
And years later, he, he did really well in the backdoor shootout. I think he even, he won something. He won Wave of the Winner is what he won. At, yeah. He got a 12, yeah. I think. He got that. It was like, yeah. fuck, the thing looked like it was 20 foot when it stood up. It was so big. And he uh, yeah just dropped out of the sky and got that crazy one. And it, it makes sense that they have these waves back in Japan uh, that are super technical because, yeah, like it can't be happening in a vacuum, this kind of ability and, and talent. It's, it's, well, they, they, have the way, they, they definitely have the waves, but they, you also have to apply it, right? You have to take a lot of kids, like, and then, you know, there's nerves, there's everything, but he, he was able to, I think that first couple of years, I think he finally fell into his potential. And there's a bunch of them coming up. Yeah, they got great waves, they got insane waves. Crazy yeah. man, fuck! I'm just looking at like your stats from your career. It's it's been a crazy ride, man. Like uh, you, you've won a, a handful of big wave events, uh, runner up in the 2011 Big Wave World Tour, um, yeah, like, and then all the time, uh, you know, you've been working like a, a working class guy installing solar panels, uh, in between your trips and and your big wave exploits. Yeah, it's and raising a family, man. It's um, it's a lot, and managing to go to Burning Man several times and snowboarding in Alaska and shit. It's fucking mental. Yeah, man, busy, busy, but staying busy, but staying, yeah, staying here and and like family now is first, and I get a lot of invites to do cool shit, and I I, I try and do it when I can. My wife's super rad, so she's. She, she just holds down the, I'm learning Hawaiian um, now, later in life. It's funny because I grew up here, but now I'm being married to a Hawaiian girl and, and our kid, both our kids are going through the immersion program. Yep. So they speak Hawaiian. Wow. And so I have class once a week. I've been, I've been like a couple of years now, like doing classes and speaking. And I see the writing on the wall. If I don't learn Hawaiian, because they can speak it all day in, in, to each other now. I mean, not like in depth, like conversations like we're having, but like, hey, we need to go here, get your shit ready, or whatever, you know. Like, like, but it, but it's, but it's pretty fun, and to see them connect to their culture that way, and look at the ocean, and and see, and and the wind, and and see all the different words that the Hawaiians had for different areas of the reef, different areas of the ocean, different er different parts of the wave, the different winds, names of the wind for every direction. Mm. Like, like, there's that connection there that that to see it through the lens of a different to see hawaii through the lens of a of their native language has been freaking staggering like incredible like it's been um there's been so many moments where i'm holy shit they have a name for this like and and, and then to see the kids get to go through that it's pretty special so that's kind of a new chapter learning hawaiian love that that's fascinating man yeah because uh, of course, the language is born out of those islands, so they're going to understand and know shit about those islands that there's just not words in the Western language for. Yeah, it's like the Inuits have like, you know, 100 words for snow or whatever. They'll have 100 words for the, the wind and the thing. So, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And it's, it's cool to see that now so much later. But, you know, I feel fortunate to have like, you know, I'm not Hawaiian. Like my, my ancestry comes from probably Scandinavia, and, but like being growing up here and being connected now married to a Hawaiian girl. I think it's really cool. It's really fun to, to share that and support that with them. And it, and it exercises my mind, my brain a bit too, mm. which as you know, from your head injury, it's like good to have shit. 
Yeah, good to slow it down, but also good to have stuff. Yeah, you have to continue to learn and and exercise new parts of your brain. And um, I was actually what what I was going to ask you is what were the real key components of of your rehab? Um, like so, you mentioned meditation, yoga, breath work, and and psychedelics are, are pretty pretty handy for the brain. It, it appears like uh, it's definitely part of my protocol is microdosing and um, LSD from time to time. Um, yeah, what, what have been your kind of main healing protocols um yeah it was just slowing it down man I, I think i got a lot of that through through just breath work and and the um, subsequent um benefits of breath work um slowing down the thought process and and then with with that came um really came less headaches and and, and less vertigo and being in touch with myself rather than living in just thoughts, being able to take, I mean, just any time of the day, just taking one deep breath, like, boom, you know, like learning relearning things. And, and then spending time, I spent one year without traveling. And it was funny. It was like 2019, um, new year's 2019, new year's Eve. And then we rolled into COVID. So, I almost, I had a forced quarantine with my head injury, but the world was on forced quarantine. So I got to see this whole thing unravel, but I, I had this, this really protected space without even the ability to go out of it. So it was like this double whammy where I had, I was home from the injury and then home from COVID on top of that. And, um, it gave me the time to heal. It gave me time to, 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 you know, just to, I got to see the first, my first daughter, I was only home about six months of her first year. I, I didn't get to see her go through all these transitions. I think I was at, I was, you know, on a tear. And then um, my second daughter, Hakea, she, I got to see her. I was with her the, for a whole year. I got to see her crawl walk and talk the whole thing it was freaking magic yeah so so that was a big part of my healing process motivating must be motivating to continue to do the work and stay on that healing path to, to to make the most out of your your child's life i mean that's spirituality in my definition is is uh you know getting yourself into good shape so you can show up better for the people around you mm-hmm yeah, and I didn't do any alcohol, any nicotine, any marijuana, any drugs. I did nothing for one whole year. And then I had my buddies, um, Greg, who, who passed away in Alaska, his um, his memorial in Aspen. And we flew up there and I was like, fuck, I, don't, I haven't done any drugs. I don't know I'm just going to, you know, just go to this. But it's a rowdy crew, full, you know, it was, it was full on. And I ended up doing every drug all at once. And I survived it. I survived the weekend and I didn't short circuit. So I'm like, okay, I'm good now. I can get back <laughs> into but I but but now you know now it's everything. It was like I didn't need to do any of it. I did it and and I lost that like you know, maybe before I'd have some beers every night or whatever. I'd, now there's like I can go a week without anything and then maybe I'll dive in. I, I kind of I learned to look at um drug use differently um because i learned that we don't need it 
but it's I, I think it's um it's great to experiment in moderation with, with, with any of that mm. as long as you're capable of like bouncing back um so yeah i did learn i learned quite a few things chad from my injury i'm sure you have but <laughs> yeah um, oh hearing you talk about it's helping me kind of validate some of my own lessons because yeah you don't get to talk to people who've had these experiences very often there's not that many people who've necessarily had them but what you're saying there is really interesting just about when you can put your body into that really calm state it knows how to heal itself if you can cultivate the environment and conditions for it and that's all you have to do and sitting still and focusing on your breath that's literally all you have to do. You slow the thoughts down and suddenly, uh, yeah, the headaches and the vertigo disappears. Amazing, man. Amazing. Yeah, no, that's it. That's all you got to do is breathe, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny how like conscious breathing is is such a terrifying prospect to a lot of people. Who I, are... I never done this in my life. And then recently I was like, you know what? It's just small the other day. I'm going to see if I can just breathe from my nose from, from the beach, go out longboard and come in the whole session. And I never, never even thought about doing it. I'd always like, you know, if I'm sitting out waiting for big waves, I'd take my time and breathe, you know, but like, I don't necessarily breathe through my nose hundred percent, well, not nearly hundred percent of the time. And I know the benefits of it. I've read James Nestor's book. I've yeah. read a bunch of books from breath and whatever. But so I was like, I'm going to breathe through my nose the whole uh, surf session. And it was this concentrated breath and it was really quite spiritual. It was really quite fun. I, I was, um, it was yeah it brought, it brought it really i mean it was the waves were small but it it, it kind of changed my perspective again and it was it was fun to try it <laughs> yeah no i i'm all about the the nasal breathing after reading that book it, it fucking blew my mind um literally and man talk to us about uh you know i know you got to go but psychedelics man like uh, what are some of your favorite memories or um you know like how helpful have these compounds been or in in changing that lens or perspective uh have they played a part in any surfing experiences um i'm, I'm such a an advocate for them in the right settings uh set and setting obviously has to be uh gotten right otherwise they can punish you but um yeah what's been your experience with these compounds yeah um I think maybe some early years, there might've been some abuse um, more on the, with the directive of having a, you know, a, a grand old time with your mates um, and just taking a bunch of them and, and going through some difficult trips and, and challenges and, and maybe things come up within your group of friends, maybe one friend like experiencing something different. And I knew there was this learning curve with me personally with experimentation um, where I realized it's not necessarily quantity and it, it's not necessarily, well, it's not about, it's not about the focus is not about having a great time. That's a byproduct. Like the focus is, it became not, a, I, I don't want to say focus, but the experimentation with the psychedelics, like we talked about, allowed you to change your perspective. And if it, and if it's just by taking a little bit, that's great. Um, you know, and there's these ayahuasca things in San Pedro and I've done all that, not all of it, but I've done a bunch of it, <laughs> a lot out there. Um, but peyote, um, LSD mushrooms and different types of mushrooms and 
different settings, like you said, it needs to be, it's important to be in the right setting. So you can go like now, like, you know, there's places you can go experiment ayahuasca with like an elder or a guru and, and help guide your path. There's like, it's becoming much more popular in the States. My friend's sister is a psychedelic therapist and she can um, prescribe you and um, treat you with ketamine which isn't a psychedelic, but she can treat you with these other drugs and, and she can give you mushrooms or she can give you MDMA or she can give you LSD. And um, I think there's a bunch of merit in that, um, especially if you're not feeling comfortable and it's your first time. But if you feel comfortable and and my recommendation is always just start with a, be in a safe, fun setting uh, with, with good friends or if you're by yourself, um, just, it's important to feel comfortable and then start small. And if you want to go bigger um, and break down more barriers, then it's there for you. It's just, and, and talk to friends and, and ask their experiences and, and get, get some beta, um, read some books. I mean, Timothy Leary and Ram Das, those guys were. Yeah. Guys. The psychedelic experience, the book they've read, uh, written that based on the Tibetan book of the dead, which I've read both of them. Um, that's a great book. That's basically the, the fucking ducks nuts in psychedelic protocols is, is in that book. Sick book. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I mean, for me at Burning Man, you know, we, we got into it. We did, we did all the things and, um, it's not necessarily in the moment. I've realized it's after the fact it's after the trip. It's maybe days later. There's something comes, comes, something comes later. I feel like in the moment is great. And, you know, if we, maybe there's an aha moment during your trip when the sun like comes out of the clouds and a rainbow appears or whatever. Like there's, there, there there's obviously like really intense defined moments. Um, but for me personally, I like some of the, the more tangible, like, graspable like takeaways have come um the next day a week later a year later even um i had a trip in um south america up in the Valle elki up in the cold um valley where we ate the um the belladonna flower datura um, wow made this and it was um it was about you know 24 hours of but there's a, a whole story i can tell you about that experience yeah but, these visions and, and, and things that I have still not forgotten from that experience. I mean, this was, this, this was on the, you know, extreme side of, of psychedelics where you actually detached. There was never a moment during that trip where I was like, Oh man, I'm high. It was, it was like on. And then it was, well, woke up in the, a field, but um, you know, the, in, in less doses, um, you get little things like there, it just opens a little bit. And then, and then maybe two days later, you're like, holy fuck, that was, and then and a thought or something might just come up, come out and, and you're giving your, 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 I mean, we, what do they say? We only use 10% of our, our minds. You're giving, you're giving, you're giving yourself access to more and, mm. um, but you can also access that through meditation. You know, yeah. you can access that, that creative source just by sitting still and, and, and it, and it may, um, maybe harder because your minds are so busy and, and, and psychedelics may help you get there too. And you can access it by just sitting out in the lineup by yourself and watching a sunrise, you know, like you, you're going to access it from all different areas and psychedelics are just a way to help you, help you just, you know, it's kind of cliche, but open your mind. Like, and that, and that's, that's what it is. Yeah. 
Man, it's it's so true. And uh, what you're saying, like, yeah, the integration is the most important part a lot of the time from, from taking psychedelics. Like, you know, yeah, you get these epiphanies, these revelations, these thoughts, and uh, it's then up to you to integrate them over the coming days and, and weeks, months, years, whatever. Uh, but it's interesting, like meditation will get you to that same place in a more gentle way, but it will take longer. Whereas psychedelics tend to kind of shoot you out of a cannon into that same experience. And there's often a bit of discomfort and, and suffering there in the transition from being in the sober egoic mind into that dissolved ego. But that's where the magic happens. And that's a metaphor for life. Like that, that nothing that is valuable in life is ever earned without a bit of hardship or, or suffering. That That's like the weird fucking catch 22 of, of the universe like all the good shit in life comes via a bit leaning into a bit of hardship or suffering uh and and this really applies to surfing too and particularly your relationship with pipeline when i think about it like i heard a guy say recently this rugby league player uh he was talking about how maybe what gives us meaning in life is being in love with something that might kill us Mm. and that's where the meaning is like so yeah doing something that could potentially kill you like surfing such a classic example of that where you know fire out man it gives us so much meaning and uh, connection with nature and exhilaration but that exhilaration couldn't exist if it weren't for the big waves or sharks or or being in nature so like that that, balance but that too is a relative perspective because somebody that just started surfing may experience those moments, you know, at the, at the same time, it, we've just been doing it so long. We got to go just like, I don't know. It's been, it's been like, it's all relative to that experience that like you can, you can have those moments as a, for your first time surfing like you can have a moment that we have but it but it takes us further in our sport to get those moments further up i don't know it's i don't know you, you following me yeah bit? well it, it's like the closer yeah 100 percent. like it's like it's all relative but like the closer to death you get the more alive you feel because you have 100%. to pay attention man because you might fucking die if you don't so like but for the person who's just starting surfing, um, you know, maybe they're a suburbanite fucking slob and they're out there on their soft top, but they never thought about going surfing because they're terrified of sharks and riptides and whatever. But for them, that one foot, there's quite a lot of danger and, and challenge in that one foot dribble. Um, whereas for yourself, like it's a, it's a, a gradient, you know, like for yourself, you know, like you're not going to feel challenged by those conditions. Um so yeah but there's something in that like that you know if you if you just live in comfort your whole life you'll get sick the body we're not designed for that man we're designed for discomfort and the elements and wind and rain and living on the edge man you gotta (laughs) you actually have to otherwise you'll be fucking understimulated and that just manifests in anxiety like the understimulated body as wim hof says so um yeah you'll end up miserable and live, doped on live, in, live, in a bo- live in a box <laughs> <laughs> and that you know you don't have to be doing things that like 
I mean, there's the adrenaline side, what you're talking about and that, that like addiction to living right there where, and doing things that almost will kill you. And I think that's a, there's a personality type, but there's also people that, that, that can experience that same thing through other shit, the other parts of their lives yeah. and, and psychedelics and like, there's a, but, but that like, but that you do have to get outside and, and that, and I, I totally agree that like those moments when you're those life or death moments are some of the most powerful moments in existence. Mate, it's a good point because by sitting in meditation, like the, I went to India recently, saw the Dalai Lama, met a ton of Tibetan monks and what those guys are doing every day is meditating to the point where they are literally watching themselves die in the form of their ego. They're like, so they're having that psychedelic experience, like a macro dose on the fucking daily. And that is living, man. That is, that's, that's terrifying. Um, but yeah, there's so much growth that happens in that space and they're not even leaving their little dojo. Yeah. That's freaking radical. Yeah. I heard those guys can like sit out in the, in the snow and just heat the sheet up just just by breathing heat the heat their bodies up and stay like it's crazy what you can do with it's crazy what the human body can do when you start to explore it when you start to explore it in other cultures and yeah and and the breath work and the and the and the mind and body in harmony together and like as i feel like as westerners we're we're so new to it but there's so much still to learn. That's cool that you went up there and saw that. Yeah, up to Dharamshala. Man, it, it's, it's yeah, I feel like Western culture has been barking up the wrong tree for hundreds of years. And all we've really managed to come up with is materialism and, and death and slaughter. Whereas like, you know, when we're on our knees. We, 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 got, we, got, we got surfing. And solar panels. No, we don't. The Hawaiians come up with that, didn't they? but we've adapted we've adopted it yeah we've adapted it we've turned it into an industry and uh capitalized off it but um yeah man uh, there's just it's crazy what you're saying it just blows my mind the fact that there's these old cultures with these ancient methods and if you want to live the fucking happiest life you can it simply comes down to meditation, breathwork, yoga, and nature. And all them things are free, man. You don't have to go fucking conquer some country, enslave people. You don't have to do any of that shit. Like you'll be the most content and happy man alive. And that comes back to our conversation. We need to stop focusing on growth and come back to what you just said. Everybody does. And then we'll be able to fix our um, our, our world problems and slow down the destruction of our very fragile little planet in the middle of the universe that's all we got <laughs> love it man that's a perfect place to leave it in yvonne we trust come on mate do something he's done plenty yvonne's the man yeah brother great connecting finally appreciate the um the energy we we, we finally made yeah man <laughs> fucking earth there'll be thousands and thousands of people will listen to this and uh that's a great thing because uh yeah the more more of these conversations we have and the more we normalize quick, quick, I just, i'd like to plug my um legacy energy foundation it's a non-profit we just started and um we're working with groups and raising money to um perpetuate renewable energy we're doing some projects here in hawaii some education and doing some stuff in fiji um so I'll keep you posted on on how that rolls out. But we're really excited about 
I'm really excited about taking the tools that I've learned over the years and now um, implementing them in all the places I've traveled and surfed and, and, and taking people off diesel generators and fossil fuels and giving them off-grid power packs that with solar that and, and clean water filtration systems. Anyway, a lot of cool things. So that's kind of the next chapter in my life is that give back through the nonprofit. Um, so I'll keep you posted, man. Please do, man. Love it. Uh, anything else you'd like uh, the people to be aware of? Any messages, parting, uh, parting words of wisdom? Surf slowly. <laughs> Epic, brother. Thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate your time. Speak to you soon. Aloha. On a roll call. See you, brother. <laughs>